Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, Episode 83. And in this episode, we'll discuss the concept of an IPO, that is an initial public offering. What does it mean and how to get one set up? We'll go into the pros and cons and how it may affect a company and therefore its investors. I've previously discussed corporate actions in episode 76, so it's useful to listen to that episode as well, where I discuss stock buyback options, splitting of shares, company spin-offs, dividends, and more. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three things that this channel aims. That is, aim is to educate, empower, and entertain. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, nor am I an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, or a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions after listening to my podcasts to your expert advisors first. In other words, don't make financial decisions based on what some random guy says on podcasting. If you're stuck on what to do, though, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. Take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That is your hard-earned money. That is your pay-yourself money. Step two, invest that money, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. I just invest in index funds because I understand index funds. Step three, reinvest dividends. When you invest in something, they will produce an income. You've got to take that income from that asset and reinvest it back into that asset. So the power of compounding, if you did this, is absolutely magnificent. Step four, always do things for the long run. I'm not talking five, 10 or 15 years. I'm talking 20, 30, if not 40 years plus. The longer you do it, the more powerful all of this becomes. Step five, automate the investment forever. What that means is that if you automate things, you're less likely to make mistakes. And if you're less likely to make mistakes, then you're more likely to follow your plan. If you did these steps, then you're more money than you'll ever imagined when you retire. Now, remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring happiness. Use it as a tool to make your life and the people around you better. Before we get started, just a public service announcement. When it comes to COVID, Australia has done really well. No doubt about it, we are one of the best countries to live in, in terms of safety, healthcare, uh, and um, yeah, from a COVID perspective. Victoria in recent times, unfortunately, is in a bit of trouble. And I live in Victoria. Uh, I'm a proud Victorian, proud Melbourneian, but we are in a bit of trouble. 
At the time of recording, which is um, on the 30th of June, Victoria has recorded continuous double-digit growth in its COVID numbers over the past week. Today, we recorded another 64 cases. So there isn't any immediate sign of stopping. And it seems that restrictions being eased in the past have resulted in some behaviours which social distancing haven't been followed and as a result has meant that more and more people are getting sick from the virus. Now, for those of you in other states, congratulations, you've done well. Um, and I think it's um, a testament to your you know, leadership. But Victoria has still some work to do. Just a few weeks ago, we were doing very, very well. Now, just to be clear, in Australia or in Victoria, we're not as bad as other countries like Brazil, India or North America. But we can definitely do better. Victoria can do better. We will do better. So make sure you follow guidelines, heed advice. The sooner we follow the guidelines, the sooner we can go back to normal, whatever that may be. And thank you to all the other states who have contributed in accepting tests from Victoria. Um, to that, we are very, very grateful. In other positive news, um, you know, it's been very negative so far, but in other positive news, this podcast channel has reached over 100,000 downloads. So that's a bit of a milestone. I only recently came across it um, over the last few days when we did cross that milestone. So to me, that's massive news. And thank you to everyone for their feedback and vote of confidence. And thank you for the um, support that you have provided now to the main topic, what is an IPO? Now, this is when private corporations owned by families or a bunch of private investors go public and float their company on the Australian Stock Exchange or any stock exchange for that matter. This means members of the public can buy shares in that company. This also means the company owners are foregoing their equity in the company by giving away shares and in return will receive money for those shares. The money can be used to invest in other businesses or in their own business for the aim of growing and expanding their business in the hope that this growth and expansion will further drive profits. As an investor, this is good because hopefully this contributes to the rising share price, which means investors can sell out at a higher value, which means they too can make a profit. Now, this requires a company to transition from being a private corporation to a publicly listed corporation. This also offers an opportunity for early investors to realise their gains after believing the company and its products and taking the risk in investing in the business at a very early stage. So what is the process involved for offering an IPO? The company needs specialist lawyers and advisors who do this on a routine basis. Maddox is probably one of the well-known law firms that do this and that specialises this in Australia. The company selects the stock exchange, though in Australia, the main stock exchange of the ASX, and the timeline for getting your private enterprise into a publicly traded company is around 18 weeks if everything goes perfectly well. But usually companies prepare for this for about 12 months in total. So who does the IPO team comprise of? There are multiple stakeholders in the IPO process. The company needs to engage advisors who specialise in this process. So who are the advisors? The advisors can be stockbrokers, corporate advisors, 
or an investment financial institution. And often there's a combination of all of these. They are known as lead managers. They manage the whole IPO process from start to finish. They provide market analysis to the company. They provide a detailed evaluation of the company. They provide advice on the structure, the offer price, size, and timing. For example, timing is really crucial. Why? Because if your IPO is competing against larger IPOs or more well-known companies, it might work out so well for your company. Manage the marketing side of things. So the lead managers are also managing marketing. They identify institutional investors. Now remember, Australia has mandatory superannuation. Now for more information on superannuation, don't forget to listen to my previous episode, episode 82. What mandatory superannuation means is that superannuation companies are institutional investors that are always looking to invest, uh, particularly in IPOs. The lead managers also manage the settlement process of the offer, and they also manage the drafting of the prospectus, which is really, really uh, important. And the lead managers is not just one person, it's actually multiple people, sometimes even multiple institutions. The second stakeholder that's really involved is the underwriter. Think about it like an insurance policy. During an IPO, the company wants to issue a set number of shares with a price for each share. The aim is all of the shares are subscribed. That's the aim. We want to make sure that if you're going to you know, float a thousand shares of your company, you want to make sure that all of those thousand shares are bought because you want to use that money to grow your business. So the underwriter is a corporation or someone which agrees to buy any outstanding shares which are unsubscribed. This means the company will get all of their money, which they intended to raise during the funding process, so the floating company reduces the risk of you know, not, not having unsubs- unsubscribed shares. So in other words, the floating company has achieved its targeted capital raising. There is no legal requirement to have an underwriter, um, and the underwriter can also be the lead manager. But usually the underwriter will not sign an agreement until they have some proof that almost all of the shares will be subscribed to. This means during the IPO process, the roadshows and marketing which is done, um, they'll provide some insight into the level of appetite for the IPO of the company. And this all depends on how much of a hype that can be created by or for that company. You also need legal advisors. Basically a bunch of lawyers advising on the regulatory approaching um, because you're dealing with ASX and you're dealing with um, ASIC. So the lawyers are advising on the regulatory approach processes. Um, they will also be involved in the underwriting process and writing up an agreement with the underwriters. You also need accountants. Can't live without accountants. Uh, where there's money, there's accountants. This is a given, so that's pretty easy. You also need technical analysis and experts in the field that the company focuses on. For example, if your IPO is from an IT company, it completely makes sense to have some IT experts to help with the IPO process. They'll also be involved in the marketing side of things and roadshows to build hype and promotion of the company. You need a public relations team and communication consultants 
They deal with marketing again and messaging. And we know messaging is very important in all aspects of life, including an IPO. You also need a share registry. The share registry is basically an organization which, on behalf of the company, manages the registry of shareholders for that company. They have the following responsibilities. They record changes in share ownerships. They issue shareholder statements. They manage dividend payments, bonuses, and rights issues. So when it comes to IPOs specifically, they assist with the settlement of the offer and then go on to manage the shareholder registry even after the IPO. So the take-home message about IPOs is that it's a way a private company can raise capital and transition to a publicly traded company. And the aim of the game is to raise capital. That is the aim of the game. Now, is there a specific time in a company's life that they would like to conduct an IPO? Is there a specific time in a company's life where conducting an IPO is a good strategy. Now, this is highly variable, but usually it occurs when the company thinks it can handle the rigors of the ASIC and ASX regulatory bodies and usually reach a very large valuation as a company. Uh, The ASX has specific rules about getting listed on its stock exchange, and I've talked about this in previous episodes. So for an IPO to be successful... You need to have very good fundamentals as a company. They have to be very, very strong. And the company has to show, I have some evidence of, a proven track record of profitability. With these two things happening, it's a matter of marketing and getting the public's interest in order for the IPO to be successful. So during the process of preparing for an IPO, there is something called a due diligence process. So let's go into that a little bit more. So what is a due diligence process? Well, the purpose of that is to, A, ensure the prospectus contains information required by law, B, does not contain false or misleading or deceptive information, or does not omit important information, things which may be risk to the company. Uh, The purpose is also to, you know, basically make sure that if you get things wrong on purpose then there are serious civil penalties for creating false information in the prospectus. So if the prospectus is incorrect, it affects the company's credibility in a very serious way. Because you're going after people's money here. You want people to invest in your company. And if you're creating an IPO, the investor has to have some confidence that what you're actually saying in the prospectus is accurate. So that is a due diligence process. The people who can get into serious trouble if you get this process wrong is the company, the board of directors, the selling shareholders, the underwriters, the professional advisors involved in the IPO process. And that's why you have a team of people working around the clock to get this IPO to be successful. Now, part of the due diligence process is also to set up what's called a due diligence defense. This is when you can show that you've done all the relevant inquiries which are considered reasonable under the circumstances and based on these inquiries, the information in the prospectus was not routinely misleading, false or inaccurate. If a new circumstances has risen, then it's not the fault of the advisors as the situation has changed when compared to the time of the prospectus. So the person has relied on information provided outside of the company 
but other expert advisors, so it's beyond their control. So the due diligence defense is basically making sure that you cross the T's and dot the I's and do all the right things to make sure that you've done everything you possibly can in order to ensure that the information contained in the prospectus is accurate, thorough and legitimate. Now, once the due diligence process is done, there is a secondary verification process of the prospectus where independent lawyers of the company look at it and analyze all of the information again to make sure it's accurate. And once this is complete, the report is then given back to the company with the final thoughts to ensure that all information is as accurate as it possibly can be. So that sort of summarizes the process and the due diligence involved. It's you know, quite a complex process to float a company on the ASX. And I know some of the listeners of this podcast have actually done that. So that's fantastic. Now, with an IPO, like all things in life, um, there are opportunities and there are challenges uh, involved. So let's discuss each of them. Firstly, starting with the opportunities. Number one, it's raising capital. That is the primary aim. The company is raising money to expand its business and thereby grow the company and its profits. And this is good for its owners, shareholders, and employees. This also means by having an IPO, future capital raising is made much easier. If a company is listed, it can be used as a form of currency for acquisitions or borrow money to grow the business in the future. So that's great. Number two, increasing liquidity. What does that mean? The company's shares will be actively traded on the ASX. This creates liquidity. This creates visibility. And liquidity means it has broadened the appeal to the wide base of investors. Number three, the prestige factor. A publicly listed company is more prestigious than a privately owned company. Full stop. That's easy. So it raises the profile of the company. It gets media attention. It means potentially more customers, more investors, businesses which has flow-on benefits to the company. Number four, provides an exit strategy for early investors. This is really important. Remember, you've trusted, you know, your, your, your friends or family or private enterprise investors have trusted you with your company and invested in the company early in its life. And now you're floating it to the ASX in order to create more value for the company so it's a great time for those people that have trusted your company right from the beginning to exit. So early investors believed in the company so much that if the IPO is successful, it provides an exit strategy. But there are many restrictions on how much they can sell and limits on any sale at all. This is called the lockup period. During the IPO process, the underwriters may insist on a lockup period whereby company insiders, owners can't sell any shares for a period of time. This is for the obvious reasons for a quick fire sale of a company stock once it goes public, realizing their profits and exiting, and this means the insiders may know something about the company that the public doesn't. This is not a great look and something the underwriters won't risk. Number five, attracting and retaining employees. If your company is publicly listed, apart from all the prestigious elements of being a publicly floated company, it means your employees may be attracted to perform better in the hope of being awarded company equity. This allows equity incentive schemes within the company for employees. So employee incentivization is a big factor 
in benefiting the companies and attracting great staff. Number six, institutional investors are more attracted to public companies. So institutions are always looking to invest in publicly listed companies. Superannuation companies are a prime example of institutional investors. And we have so many super companies in Australia with loads of money waiting to pounce on the next IPO. Number seven, the advantage of efficiency. The continuous disclosure and corporate governance requirements for listed companies may provide and promote better internal processes. Reporting mechanisms are better, which may lead to greater efficiency and transparency. This is overall a very good thing. Now, with any situation, there's always a flip side and there's always challenges, risks, problems, headaches associated with an IPO. So we've talked about the opportunities. We're now going to the challenges associated with an IPO. The main challenge or the risk is loss of control. The company owners or initial investors are losing some control over their company by offering equity to investors. This means in the future, shareholder approval is required to do many things which were under company owner control previously. Now, the risk to cultural change. So when you do a floating company, internal management systems changes, which may affect company culture. This could also be a good thing in many circumstances, but also comes with it a risk. Lack of privacy, media retention, regulatory compliance requirements. It can be a pain in the bum. Number three, the diversion of management focus. What that means is being a private company and a public company is very different. Management need to pay attention to the IPO process and continuing operation of the business, and this requires more management time, which takes time and effort. So their focus may then be directed to other things rather than actually running the business. Increased disclosure requirements and corporate governance, that is an opportunity to increase efficiency, but with it comes a risk. Comprehensive disclosure obligations includes financial performance, financial statements, management pay, um, ASX corporate governance requirements, Um, You know, these are all risks to the company if you want to float. So a classic example is Qantas recently unfortunately announced that I think about 6,000 staff are going to be stood down or probably more than that. I'm not exactly sure how many staff, but thousands of Qantas employees will lose their jobs as a result of the global recession from COVID. Because Qantas is a publicly listed company, the first thing the public sort of might have thought is like, well, hang on, Alan Joyce, a well-paid executive, a CEO of Australia's largest airline and a flagship, still got his job. He's getting paid millions of dollars. So this sort of public disclosure um, is always going to be a risk. And if you're part of the management of a publicly listed company, you need to accept some sort of scrutiny uh, of the management pay and policies and procedures, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, lastly, the costs associated with an IPO. So it's not cheap. If you're looking at cost, I think it roughly is around 6 to 10% of the total capital raised. That Mm -hmm. is what it's going to cost you to float a company to the ASX. And this is for companies between $10 and $100 million. So if your company is bigger, it's going to be costing you a little bit more. So that's about it for IPOs. 
If you're interested in IPOs, visit the ASX website. Um, that's where I found a lot of this information is very, very useful. They have over 100 plus IPOs per year. Um, probably not this year, though. Uh, and they have very detailed prospectus uh, for you to review. So go to their website. I find the ASX website fantastic. Lots of useful information. What do I do? I think it's a well-known fact. I don't invest in IPOs. Um, I just invest in index funds. Cheaper effective, and I'm way too lazy to analyze individual companies. Don't have time for that. Now, that's about it for this episode, so thank you very much. That's episode 83, one of my shorter episodes. I'm going to take some time off during school holidays. It's school holidays in Victoria, so looking forward to taking a couple of weeks off from podcasting, Um, so that's great. I'll be back after those two weeks. to provide some more exciting topics. So until then, check out my Facebook page for news or updates or devraga.com. And thank you very much for supporting this podcast channel. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I enjoy making them for you. And remember, the aim here is to learn and learn some more. So if you think you have something or a topic for me to look into, please let me know. I'm happy to do an episode. Um, just Facebook me um, via the um, Devraga Personal Finance Facebook page. Remember to like the Facebook page. Remember to shout out questions and comments or topic suggestions. And remember to share this channel with family and friends uh, via castbox.fm, the preferred app that I use. Or you can also listen to these episodes on Spotify, Google Podcast, or directly via devraga.com and other podcast apps. And remember to always pay yourself first, take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside so you can't spend it, and learn about IPOs. And if it floats your fancy, bad joke, why not invest in an IPO? This is Devraga Personal Finance, episode 83, and as always, please stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.